Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable Women's World Cup podcast brought to you by Playtaga. If you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBig.com, a Palace fan site, by fans, for fans. Uh, we predominantly report on Crystal Palace Football Club and also we cover the Palace ladies as well. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. Hi, I'm Andrew Gibney. I write for French Football Weekly and I'm covering the Women's World Cup for Bleacher Report and Women's Sport UK. Hi, I'm Kieran Tavum. I am the founder and host of Women's Soccer Zone, a fortnightly audio show covering the women's game, interviewing some of the biggest names from around the world. You can catch us on Twitter on at WosoZone. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we're each going to discuss how the countries we've been reporting on have been doing throughout the tournament. Uh, Jay, obviously, you must be excited after yesterday's England result. Yeah, very much so. Excited, but a bit tired. It was a late night here in England watching the game against Canada, the hosts. Um, uh, it was fantastic to watch. And I, I was mentioning before the pod that there was a lot of positivity throughout the game and obviously England got off to a great start with uh, with two two early goals and kind of put Canada on the uh, you know on the back step a, a little bit so um I think uh, Mark Sampson was uh, using a bit of kidology before the game and saying that there was a lot of pressure on on Canada but it's something I alluded to in in the games before I don't think Canada had, had played with a lot of freedom um, even though they got through the rounds to the semi-finals, and they, they seem to be hindered a little bit, um, they, they seem to play with a little bit more freedom in the in the warm-up game before the World Cup, actually against England, uh, which Canada actually won one nil uh, with a great goal from uh, from Schmidt. But um, but this game was entirely different. I mean, England went went for Canada really, and um, and and it really worked for them. I mean, the first goal was fantastic, um, taken taken really well, um, uh, and the second goal was um, you know it's just it's just one of those where you know, Canada are kind of on the sort of um, back foot, and um, and we took advantage of that, which which was great. But it's one of those performances that you want to see from an international side. Every player on that pitch was, you know, was was playing for the shirt. Um, and there's been a lot of comparisons with with the men's game, and I, I don't, you know, I don't buy into all that. I mean, I, I've said a lot of times before that you have to treat the women's game and the men's game quite separately. However, when you're watching the way that the women were playing last night. Um, you know the, the way they were battling for the ball and uh, and literally playing for each other. It was it was a joy to watch, and there was a lot of positivity on on Twitter throughout the second half because obviously England were winning two one, and uh, and as the game went on, it you know Canada had their chances, um, but but never really had a you know a, well put uh, you know put the keepers under pressure in the second half. Obviously, Barnsley went off with that um, freak. I haven't really read much more about it. I don't know if you guys have, but. Um, I think she had a um, you know allergic reaction, so she went off the pitch feeling very nauseous. And Chamberlain came on, and you kind of think, you know, that might uh, you know Canada might look to take advantage of that situation with a new keeper on the pitch. And it's you know it's an odd time or a difficult time for a keeper to come on the pitch and uh, uh, and uh, and obviously play. But um, she wasn't particularly called into a lot of action. A couple of good saves she made, but um, you know did, did her job as you would expect to do. Um, I think Canada played with, um, you know, with, with kind of, you know, a lot of weight on their on their shoulders. Um, they didn't play freely, like I mentioned. Um, didn't really show what I would expect from them. Um, we we spoke about uh, the centre back Buchanan, who you know tried to do a lot of things. You know, ran ran from the back, which we've we've seen her do so many times in the World 
Cup already, uh, run through in midfield, and that was a bit of a concern a few times. But I think England kind of had that had their eye on her. But I think it's one of those performances that you know, late into the, or early into the morning, um, this morning there was a lot of positivity, and after the game, you know, it, it was a typical um, reaction. You know, you wouldn't be able to tell whether it's a men's game um, or a women's game really from from the positive reactions, and you know, a lot of fans that I hadn't actually seen on Twitter um, were supporting. The, you know, and it, it, it was a fantastic thing. It was a big thing as well. I think it's massive for the for the English game, um, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we've got to semi-finals now. Um, you know, it's a fantastic place to be. Uh, to reach semi-finals, I think we spoke on earlier pods that the quarter-finals would be, you know, a, a, you know, a good a good place to, for England to to get to at least. Um, I think the semi-finals perhaps uh, have uh, have proved that they, uh, you know, out outshone that uh, prediction a little bit. But hopefully, there's going to be a bit of you know positivity around the you know the women's game in in this country, and I hopefully can see a, you know a lot more um, you know fans. Maybe going to games, you know, you got the women's super league, and hopefully we will see a bit of reaction from that. But you know, the the World Cup isn't over yet. We've got a semi final left to play against Japan, um, and I for one, are, you know, really looking forward to it. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot more fans watching the game, staying up to watch the game on Wednesday night um, to see how the ladies get on after after the great result against Canada. All right, and Andrew, you, you were talking about France last time. Obviously, they lost on penalties yesterday. What did you take from that match? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, the community fans came out of the box flying. Uh, Louisa Nassib had a really good chance at the back post. It's just skewed wide, and as the game went on, it became a very typical France match. You're thinking they need to take one of these chances. They need to score goals, and and Nassib did get the goal in the second half through a deflection, but the, but they all count. But in the end, the, the penalty decision is a hard one because it's not a penalty if you read the rules. I think. The ball hits uh, Marjorie's arm, but the ball, the hand doesn't move to the ball. The ball hits the arm. But from a referee's point of view, she's got a split second. The angle wasn't great for her. Marjorie's body was in the way. So you can see why they give it. And Sasic buried it. And then from that point on, for me, there was only ever going to one team was going to win that game. And especially when uh, Gaten Tenney missed the chance in extra time at the back post. It, I can never, you've got to say it's a sitter, it's a hard chance to take, but a, a striker of her class and experience, you'd expect her to score. In Germany, although it's their first ever penalty shootout in the World Cup, you always fancy the Germans in penalties. And Matt, the takeaway from it is Quirrell Avoji, who took the fifth penalty, you've got to give her so much credit for stepping up to take one. But for me, Philip uh, Bergeru, why, why is she taking the fifth penalty? Uh, 20 years old, first World Cup, on as a sub, put her second or third, but don't have her taking the fifth one. So much pressure for a young girl, respect her for, for taking it, but I wouldn't have her that sort of late in the order. And it's, it's typical France, I suppose. They had the chances to put the game away on the own. Germany or Germany, they're never out of Leicester. If you can get two or three goals against them, you've got a chance, but just one goal down, they're always going to come back. And they weren't great. And I suppose from Germany's point of view, they probably won't play as bad as that in this tournament again. They, they, were, they seemed a bit off the pace. France caught them a bit cold, and but they, they stuck around. Uh, and you can see them springing back from that. And for France, it's, 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 it's progression. They, they, looked, they played some great football against Germany. They showed that they shouldn't be overawed against them. But yeah, you you got to take chances, haven't you? And they'll know that, and hopefully they grow from that and take that going forward, and possibly go all the way in four years' time when they're they're hosting the the next World Cup. 
All right, and to make things nice and confusing, we're going to have Kieran take the U.S. as uh, John Wallen isn't on today. Uh, Kieran, obviously the U.S. snuck through again, but at some point they're going to need to turn up, right? Probably a bit harsh, Kev. I thought the U.S. probably had their best game against China. Yes, the scoreline was only 1-0, and it came courtesy of a Carly Lloyd header, but I think many agreed that it was probably the U.S.'s best performance. I don't really recall China having an awful lot of chances. I think they stifled them. The U.S. had a game plan and they stuck to it. They could have had more. Ali Krieger had a good effort that came off the bar. Let's not forget they had a couple of players out suspended in Megan Rapino and Lauren Holliday. Yes, they have the squad to replace those players. And actually, the players that came in, Kelly O'Hara, who surprisingly made her first appearance of the World Cup, or certainly her first start, she came in and did a very good job before she got a blow to the face and had to go off with a bloody nose. And young player Morgan Bryan, who I'm a big fan of. She's been a part of the U.S. Women's National Team for a couple of years now. Uh, she did young. have that excellent strike that went off the post. Yeah, and and she she continues to impress. You know, I think Morgan Bryan is one of the stars of the future of this of this U.S. Women's National Team, along with Julie Johnston, who once again, alongside Becky Salbrun, was uh, an absolute rock. You know, those two have have been a big reason why the U.S. are on this long streak of something like 430 minutes without having conceded a goal in the World Cup. And and again, Julie Johnston is is stepping up to the plate and stepping into those big shoes of Christy Rampone. And I thought the U.S. were, were clinical. You know, Carly Lloyd scored a goal on her 200th appearance. And when you've got a player like her in your midfield, you've always got a chance because she is the driving force. And when you've got players like Morgan Bryan protecting the back four, you know you're going to be able to play going forward and, and not have to worry about what's behind you. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Carly was able to get a little bit further forward this game. There's there's the argument, the old argument that Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard could never play together. I would never, ever say that Carly Lloyd and Lauren Holiday can't play together, but I think they probably play better when Lauren is in a more advanced position as opposed to having to play that defensive role because Carly almost feels like she has to, to come back and help her a little bit because it's not her natural position. But... As I say, I don't call China having an awful lot of chances. I thought that uh, the back four for the US, once again, uh, were pretty solid. And I thought Amy Rodriguez came in up front and, and did a good job um, getting in behind the Chinese defence when she could. And I just thought the US were, were, were pretty professional in their performance and were never really troubled. So, um, yes, it's only a 1-0 scoreline, but I thought it was probably their most complete performance of the tournament so far. Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, because obviously being at sports bars and stuff here, everybody's kind of expecting the goals to come. But yeah, I, I would definitely agree. It was still the best performance of the tournament. And the stat you mentioned, uh, USA haven't conceded since the first match of the tournament against Australia, which is something that will be sorely needed against the German side that's obviously scored a lot of goals this tournament. Um, for the Netherlands, they were knocked out by current champions Japan. Uh, it, it was... Kind of a lackluster performance. Uh, going in, I, I kind of getting hopes up, knowing that Japan were the, were the title holders. But you look at the kind of physical advantage and you, you think, well, maybe if there's a team that could really upset them, it, it would be this tall and pacey Dutch side. Uh, did not end up being the case. Um, Japan pretty much dominated the match from the off and just passed around uh, all the Dutch players. Kind of brought to mind the, the old phrase of nobody's faster than the ball. Um 
pretty much just picked everything apart. Surprisingly, uh, Netherlands didn't play a lot of long balls, which we've seen a lot throughout this tournament from many different teams and would have thought that this would be the match where you would want to kind of focus on that, on the on the pace and height, but kind of tried to play them through the midfield. And as I've been saying this whole tournament, I, I don't really know if three midfielders is, is the right way to go for this Dutch side. You're not scoring enough to explain why you have three players that are playing in forward positions and you're not defending enough to prevent other people from scoring on you. So for me, I would like to see a more stacked midfield there and, and maybe just maybe him out front, but she hasn't really done much. So I I don't know, it, it was kind of a problem. I, I don't want to sound too negative though, because obviously this is the first Women's World Cup appearance for them. And I think on the whole, they did very well. Um, it would have looked less glamorous had uh, Van de Ven not scored two goals this tournament, one to get the draw against Canada in the 92nd minute and one against Japan in the uh, 92nd to, to really make things look close. Um, but all in all, you know, you can't be too disappointed, like I said, with the first uh, first go. Uh, I do have a question kind of for the group, though, because I'm not sure how this works. Uh, the winner of this match, if it had been Netherlands, would have placed them in the Olympics. Now, Now what happens? There's going to be a four-way playoff, as far as I'm aware, between Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, and who's the other one? Kieran, who's that? There's a fourth team. Going to be honest, I haven't been looking at the uh, Switzerland. Switzerland, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a four a four-team playoff to decide the the last Olympic place. Well, that'll because definitely also, be interesting. Yeah, it should be it should be fun. Then obviously England. Because Great Britain will be part of it for political reasons, and that's why it's not been solved already. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this Dutch side kind of grows. A lot of young players in there, um, but on, on the whole, Nadima has to be kind of one of my disappointing players of the tournament. There was so much hype going in with her. Uh, didn't she lead all of uh, European qualifiers with goal scored? Yeah, she, she, she did have. She did, but I think. You're talking about an 18-year-old young player here. I think there was, and, and me included, we expected a lot from Vivian Miedema. But to go from World Cup qualifying, where you are arguably coming up against some some fairly weaker nations, to go into that World Cup, your first major tournament, I think there were probably a lot of eyes on her. And maybe she felt that pressure a little bit. She's not used to that big competition. You know, Bayern Munich, her club, have just qualified for the for their first UEFA Women's Champions League. So she's not had that that experience in, in European competition necessarily. And, and I think we've got to give her a little bit of slack uh, on this one. Not, not necessarily that people are giving her a, a stick, but I think we have to remember her age and remember that despite all those goals that she's scored in qualifying, there's a big difference between the, the standard of the teams that you're playing in qualifying and then coming into a major tournament. Yeah, and obviously she'll grow and, and be much better come the Olympics and then the Euros, which will be held in Netherlands. So exciting to see that uh, happen going forward. All right, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the Australia-Japan match, which was the fourth quarterfinal. What did you guys make of that match? I think it was a tough game, actually, for, for both sides. I think it was probably the one game in the quarterfinals which not many people were looking towards unless that was your country taking part. I think the other three games were perhaps more um, more interesting uh, from, you know, from a, a footballing perspective. However, you know, Japan are a side which, you know, they're the holders, Um and they're getting things done um, as they sh as they should do, and kind of under the radar a little bit, I think, because not many people are talking about them. Obviously, got to the semi-finals. I, I think the main thing that a lot of people have said is that they seem to be playing 
a bit like Barcelona do. And again, it's a comparison to men's game, but their short passes, um, you know, are you know, and, and and to watch them are, are are excellent. But Australia were, you know, are, are a tough side to beat. They've shown it in this competition already. Um, and I think um, Japan probably did enough to win the game. Um, they 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 play pretty well to you know to beat Australia side, even though it was a late goal. Um, but I think Australia can hold their heads up high. Um, and you know, going out the quarterfinal stage, um, they would have perhaps uh, hoped for hope for a little bit more after getting to the quarterfinals. But um, you know, Japan aren't an easy side to beat. You know, being the holders, they want to be a team that goes on and uh, retains that trophy. So. Um, so, so yeah, they, they they did a job on Australia, and they'll certainly be tough in the semi-finals to uh, you know for England. But that's uh, that'd be an interesting matchup. I think the Heat played a big part in that game as well. It's played middle of the day in Edmonton. Someone mentioned it was 150 degrees Fahrenheit on the pitch, <sighs> which is it just seems like your feet would just start melting. Surely, it's just uh, mm. and you could see it was very conserved. Japan were conserving their energy. Australia looked a little bit tired from the Brazil game as well, and never really looked like breaking down the Japanese teams. Yeah, this defends so well. There's always someone in front of the ball that get back in numbers and make it really hard to, to break you down. And when you need to give that little bit of a 10% effort or the heat, it just it makes it very, very difficult. And as Jay said, I think Japan were, were worthy of the, the one goal win. It's a bit, bit heartbreaking for Australia that it came it came so late, but I think another half an hour and there could be some some, some, uh, some very, very tired scenes on the, on that pitch. And that I think that may play a massive uh, impact in the, in the semi-final that England and Japan will play there uh, on Wednesday. Did they have a drinks break in this game? So I know yesterday, um, they well, this morning, yeah. they were talking about every, it in the England game. Yeah, it seemed to every time the ball went out, there were some people rushing over to, I think, some <laughs> Yama taking a, a corner kick and was, uh, there was a bottle over there. But no, there wasn't an organised mm-hmm. one, which just seems bizarre. Yeah, because they were talking yeah, in especially England. Especially after it being established but, last year as well. Mm, yeah, even in yeah, England. Yeah, I don't know, I think they said that they have a doctor. Yeah. Sorry, no. I think they were saying in the commentary uh, of the England game that they had a doctor there who would decide whether, you know, conditions were um, at a point where it would be dangerous for players not to have a, a drinks break. And I think they were reviewing it after half an hour of the first half. But I don't think they did stop uh, in the England game at least. I just I can't remember them doing this, doing that in the Japan game either. If it was going that slow, you probably would have noticed. It was a really, really slow pace. Yeah. All right, and as we look forward, we have the semifinals obviously coming up where we're going to see USA-Germany, which is definitely going to be interesting, and England-Japan, which we've just mentioned, especially with the tiredness of the Japanese players. I guess we'll start there. Uh, what do you guys think of the matchup with England and Japan? Do you think stylistically it sets up well for them? I think England would be a little bit worried about if, if they're chasing shadows a little bit, the way Japan plays. She said Barcelona sort of esque, it's passing and movement. They're relentless, they're back and forward together. And if England don't get a hold of the ball and can't get close, it could be a long day of, of sort of chasing around. But England physically they need to get sort of that old cliche, getting amongst it and sort of give them a bit of a battle physically, which Japan, as you said about Netherlands, they could be if you get if you get into them and disturb them and don't let them have that time on the ball, you could get some success. I just wonder how England will cope after the efforts of the Canada game and then the heat of Edmonton, it might, it might just conspire against them a little bit. But the, the semi-finals, you've always got a chance. And it just takes one mistake and you capitalise and you never know, but definitely leaning towards Japan uh, going to the final. 
Uh, I think England have got to take heart from the fact that they beat Japan in the last World Cup. They beat them 2-0 in the group stages. Uh, and uh, that was an impressive performance. It was the only game that Japan actually lost in the 2011 tournament before going on to win the whole thing. And they had a friendly in England, I think it was last year or the year before, and it was a one-all draw. So they can take heart from the fact that they've got some positive results against the Japanese. What uh, this, Andrew's pretty much hit the nail on the head. Japan are an intricate team. They move the ball so quickly. That front that front sort of formation of players, Yuki Agimi, Iwabuchi, Shinobu Ono, uh, they, they just move around and they seem to know where each other is um, without even having to look. And again, this is an early kickoff and heat may well play a part. And we have seen England teams more so in the men's game where they have really, really struggled with the heat. So England are going to have to work on how they're going to counter that. Uh, it was a difficult game against Canada. They, they didn't exactly play their best game, but they obviously got the result. But they would have exerted a lot of energy in, in trying to overcome that. And, and as much as anything, emotional energy, you know, trying to, mm. trying to silence that Canadian crowd and, and trying to overcome everyone being against them. It wasn't just the physical demands, it's the mental and emotional demands of that game that they played against Canada. So it's, it's going to be a case of how quickly can they regroup and how quickly can they start the game? Because again, I think the key for the England game against Canada was they had that 2-0 lead inside 15 minutes. And if they are 0-0 or 1-0 down by half time, that is when Japan could really come into their own in that second half because they will continue to knock the ball around. They are one of the teams you do not want to be uh, chasing when you keep and England's um, percentage uh, of successful passes was 48% against Canada. Now, I'm not big on stats. I don't really like stats. I know I know you Americans, Kev, you love your stats, but at the end of the day, we the do. most important stats is, is how many goals you score. But mm. if England only, have to, if, if England only uh, are successful with 48% of their passes against Japan, they'll get punished because they, they are not a team that you want to have the ball. Along with France, Japan are the best team in the world at keeping the ball. So England will have to find a way of getting a quick start but also how are they going to keep that ball better so that Japan don't have it Kieran do you think there's a chance uh, the way Nigeria got the draw against Sweden it was kind of like as if they'd won the game drawn three each and then the second game they didn't really turn up is there maybe a chance that Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And you said that emotional side of getting to the semi-final, all the jubilation of that and possibly not being able to get up for it again, even though it's the semi-final, just maybe taking just too much out of you mentally and also the heat as well. I guess there's a danger of that. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I would be a little bit concerned and that, that last night took so much out of them that they've got nothing left in the tank. But I think when you look at the positive response of the public, messages from the likes of David Beckham, 
and Prince William today. That is only going to give those players a boost. And they will go into that game, as I said, two positive results against Japan in the last two meetings. They have to build on that. They really have to build on that. And they have to remember they've just knocked the host nation out. So it could well be that they, they do have a few people in that stadium that are on their side. You know, I, I, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think, you know, they've played Germany and the USA in the last six to nine months. And they got comprehensively beaten by both of them. Yes, the scoreline against the US was very close, but England were never really in the game other than Jody Taylor's disallowed goal that should have stood. It's going to be interesting to see how they cope with Japan. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right, Andrew. The, the big question mark will be, do they have enough left in the tank to, to cope with that Japan team with the heat and with, with the passing style of the Japanese? That's going to be key for them. It's excellent points, guys. But <clears throat> what I would allude to the fact that Mark Sampson's been quite impressive in the way that he's approached games and he's, he's got no fear of changing things up, both in terms of tactics and personnel. I think um, there's only one or two teams that have played all their outfield players already or or even before the quarterfinals, I believe. Um, but but certainly from, from what he's done um, and how he's spoken as well, he's spoken in a way that's kind of taken the pressure off you know the, the, the ladies as well. Um, and I think the ladies knowing how popular or how, how much they're being watched now, particularly after last night's result. Um, and as I mentioned, the, the interaction on social media was probably one of the best I've seen um, from, from a women's game of yeah, football. And, and obviously that was, you know, that was a massive game last night. We're talking the World Cup here and this is probably one of the biggest games um, that we've uh, seen the ladies involved in at this particular profile or this particular stage in their profile. Um, but I'm wondering whether, you know, Mark Sampson's got maybe a trick up his sleeve or he, he seems to know, he, he seems to be tactically aware of um, how other teams play, although you know it's difficult because of the heat, and Japan played a short game and you know short passing game, um, and it, it could be a bit of a runaround. But I'm, I'm just wondering whether that would work in England's favour, and uh, you know he can he can he can play a particular player in a role which you know it might not be the form player that he's choosing, but he plays a player for a particular reason to play against you know an opposition. Um, so I, I like that in a manager. Um, you know, a, a lot of managers seem to be in you know in a kind of mould where they have to choose their best players all the time or their you know the uh, their highest rated players as such and there seems to be pressure on them to play them but you know he seems to you know play players for a reason which you know I think I can you know I applaud it and certainly as the World Cup's gone on you know that could be something that you know will come into play in this semi-final I mean, the, the, the way it matches up England are never going to take the game to a team like Japan and, and dominate no. and pass it around as Kieran said 40% passing accuracy of the stats aren't everything but it gives them you don't have that pressure of taking on Japan. You just look, look to hit on the break and look to use set pieces, especially going to be huge. You fancy Lucy Bronze again against most of the, the Japanese team, Jill Scott, things like that can go in your favour. It's just you need to get the ball to get in those situations and that, yeah, and just taking the opportunities. But they'll definitely, I think, they'll definitely have some opportunities to score. It's just like. Like Jody Taylor last night and Lucy Bronze, can you can you take them and can you mm. uh, make it count? And I think that there'll be some big moments. And it's just whether it's that flip of the coin, whether it goes in or not, and that's that's what will, will decide the game. I think. I think I think the key thing for me is that he's learned from from things that he's done in previous games. I mean, I, I would be the first to admit I didn't agree with the way that he lined up against France. I didn't like the fact that he had two left backs on the left-hand side because to me that was paying too much respect to France's right side which you know Elodie Tomis we know she's a dangerous player but 
I don't necessarily think you need to play two left backs to deal with her. But he's learned from it. And what I liked about yesterday, I think I tried to predict the team that he would pick. And I think I got 10 of the 11 players. I think I got Tony Duggan instead of Jade Moore. And he was absolutely right to play Jade Moore because what he said prior to that game was that Canada are a physical, one of the most physical teams in the tournament. And what he did is he put Katie Chapman and Jade Moore in there, both like a tackle, both very good midfield players and and will will take no no prisoner in you know against the opposition and and they, he got it absolutely right you know Desiree Scott and Sophie Schmidt were were almost non-existent in that game because mm. Jade Moore and and Katie Chapman had their number so the key thing for him now is does he go with Jade Moore and Katie Chapman so that they can try and you know play that role again where they don't allow the Japanese to play or does he have to go with more ball playing midfielders who are better at keeping the ball than maybe Jade and Katie are so I, I'm with you, Jay. I think Mark Sampson deserves a lot of credit because he's still a young manager. He's his first major tournament. He's, um, he's still learning the, the role. I've no no doubt about that. But he's he showed some pretty astute decision making, and uh, I think he deserves some credit for that. Do you think he's got a big decision to make in terms of goalkeeper, whether he keeps Chamberlain as a starter, or do you think he go back and uh, and stick with the first choice? I mean, from a personal perspective, you look at Karen Barsley's made a few errors in the tournament as well. It's not mm-hmm. just the fact that she's doubtful because of the, the the allergic reaction that she's that she's obviously had, but you know the the goal by Sinclair was was actually an error of hers. And I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we see Siobhan Chamberlain given a start. I know it's a big move to make to to start a goalkeeper in a in a semi final of a World Cup, but Siobhan is vastly experienced. She's got plenty of plenty of caps and plenty of experience with with club football for me actually Carly Telford is actually the best goalkeeper that we've got at the moment she was mm-hmm. named in the PFA team of the year and, and she's been absolutely phenomenal since she joined Notts County Ladies however I think Mark made his statement pretty clear that Siobhan is his second choice and if it was me I'd probably go with Siobhan whether whether KB was was fit or not and I think if if it was an allergic reaction, there's nothing to say it wouldn't happen again. And if mm-hmm. we're saying the heat's the heat's going to be a factor, you're sort of risking you might only have two subs that you can make out of field, and whether you just Siobhan's a very good goalkeeper to give, give her the start and then not take that risk that it might happen again. It might not. She's obviously played the other games and it didn't happen, where it was just something on that particular type of pitch. But yeah, I, th- I think it'd be a risk. And I suppose Kim, you said she made the mistakes. There's been a few. Sort of moments and it's a chance where you can you can drop her without it being such a, a sort of headline move because you can just say it's mm. to do with the pitch and you can kind of get away with not making it a she's been dropped it's more of a, a fitness thing yeah we've already mentioned Jody Taylor and Lucy Bronze uh, who both scored um, what other players should we keep an eye on during this match well for me I mean England have been led by their captain fantastically well Steph Houghton it's been brilliant in every game. I think she's led uh, from the front. Obviously, scored a goal against Norway, which was uh, you know, which was a typical central defender's uh, headed goal. Really, um, I, I think she's been um, uh, impressive. And I think in, um, in 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 different parts of games, Karen Carney's played pretty well actually, and given us mm. uh, an outlet going forward. Um, Particularly, you know, in the game game yesterday, she was always available. She was always quick to the ball, chasing down, harassing the fullbacks, um, and, and and generally making nuisance of herself and causing problems. And you know that won England a lot of possession by doing that. And you know it's good to see. Um, but for me, yeah, Steph Houghton's really impressed me the way she, she's led the team, um, and 
uh, and just really, really just just really got on with her game and uh, you know it's difficult to 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 captain a side as well as you know um be in control of your own performance as well and you know that's that's always an impressive thing for me yeah. i think the other one probably the third defender's mentioned claire rafferty as well i think she'll be really important mm-hmm. against japan's movement and getting down the wings and she's she's had a, a really good tournament which she's played and very does very well positionally she's strong I think if if she has a good game, she could sort of quell the the Japanese attack. I guess because we've had a couple of people say England players. I guess the Japanese players for me to look out for would be would be Aimeyama. I think everything has gone through her in this tournament so far. I watched the the game against Australia, and and despite being one of the in inverted commas veterans on the team, <laughs> she continues to have such a big influence on that side. I mean, and she's one of the best players in the world. She. She continues to to step up to the plate in big games, and uh, I think Naomi Kawasumi, who uh, people will know, plays for the or did play for the Seattle Rain out in the NWSL. Very good delivery of the ball from wide areas, and very tricky, kind of quite a short player, much like a lot of the Japanese players, to be fair. But low center of gravity, which allows her to kind of nip in between players quite easily. So, those are the two for for me to look out for from Japan. All right, and now heading over to USA versus Germany, the one and two ranked teams in the world at the moment. What do you see happening in this one? <clears throat> Tough to call again, isn't it? I mean, Germany have kind of flattered to deceive in the last couple of rounds. They started off really well in the group stage uh, and then uh, they managed that draw against Norway. Um, it kind of haven't gone their own way um, after that, particularly, uh, well, particularly in the last couple of games. But... Um, I don't know whether it's just a case of uh, you know they met a team which you know in France were um, really on form. I mean, they, France lost the game in in the group stage, which was a shock. But after that, they kind of uh, um, recovered really well and um, were a team to be reckoned with. And and you can probably count ourselves lucky for for getting to the semi-final stage. But um, perhaps this is a team that will look back and think you know yeah we are lucky to be here, but. Yeah, we've got a game to play, and uh, you know, an, an old foe in in the USA. Um, USA are going to be played better in the last round, um, as Kira mentioned. Um, a good team, and perhaps their timing, their run, just right. Um, get into semi-finals. Um, you know, play better against China as they have done in previous rounds. They kind of, as I mentioned, Canada were quite similar in that they flattered to deceive in in some of their earlier games. Uh, USA could be, uh, like I say, timing it just right, and it's it's one of those mouth-watering clashes. I think I mentioned the Germany-France game before that game took place as uh, arguably the tie of the quarterfinals, and and this one uh, perhaps um, you know could be the best of the two semi-finals, but um, could quite possibly go to penalties. Could be another penalty shootout with the teams being so uh, so tightly matched. I think, but it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I think Jill Ellis has got some really important decisions to make. Like, did yeah. she bring Abby Wong back back in? Uh, and I think if you're if you're watching that Germany France game, and you see the the space and the, the joy that LD Tommy's had down the right. That you maybe not play a winger, but look at keeping Amy Rodriguez in. As Kieran said, she played really well, and she'll give you pace in behind. In Germany, have looked suspect to that even against Ivory Coast. They looked suspect to a bit of pace down mm. down the channels and. Then Morgan Bryan as well played really well against Kieran said and with Juan Holiday allowed to come back and Rapino to come back. She's got options but she has to pick the right ones to get get in where where Germany have shown that they can be weak. and the back four hasn't looked great defensively. I think if you play one back you're sort of playing to Germany's strength because they'll good in there, they'll mop that up. I think the width and pace is the only way to kinda of get past this Germany team. 
and whether she can see that and pick the right players to do it, I think that'll be a, a huge decision and I think a huge factor in deciding who goes through to the final. I think along with Germany, France, this is the hardest game to call in the whole tournament because they they have so many similarities but also so many differences. One bonus for Germany will be that Saskia Bar. Artusiak is available after suspension, although I thought Baby Peter didn't do too badly when she, she came in. Most of the uh, most of the play that France had was, as Andrew said, down down the French right-hand side. I thought Leonie Meyer, right-back, did a fairly decent job on, on nullifying the left-hand side. But the US, they don't traditionally play... They don't traditionally play with what you would describe as out-and-out wide players. They no. tended to play players like Kristen Press out on the right, who, for me is absolutely wasted out there. And I think that's why we've not seen the best of Kristen Press in this tournament. Megan Rapinoe will be available after suspension and, and she is what you would describe as an out-and-out wide player, but they don't have a huge number. So the decision that Jill Ellis has got to make is, will she have looked at that France game and seen how the French exploited the the sides or will she stick to her stick to her guns in some way and, and go with the, the kind of central fet of the likes of Carly Lloyd and I've no doubt Lauren Holiday will, will come back in probably at the expense of Morgan Bryan. Um, the defence will have to stand up strong. You know, that, that German side, yes, they they were pretty blunt against the French. We can't deny that. But for the rest of the tournament, they've been prolific. And the likes of Anja Mittag and, and Celia Sasic and the fact that you can bring on Jennifer Marajan and Alex Pop was started as well. And Simone Lauder is there as well, you know. This is going to be the arguably the biggest test for for Julie Johnston and, and Becky Salbrand on a physical level. So it's to, it's going to be a case of how well do they stand up to that and how well can they nullify that forward line? Because if Germans get an early lead, they could go on and, and really punish the US. But I still so difficult to predict. Really is. Yeah, you mentioned Sausage and Mittag, who are currently the only two people in the race for uh, Golden Boot with six and five goals respectively. So uh, hopefully the U.S. defense can snuff them out. And as we mentioned before, the, the U.S. that about not having conceded since the first match of the tournament. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting. Another name to throw in there, Sydney LaRue, if you're looking for pace uh, out, out wide. I think that would be interesting to throw on. I very much agree with the Cote d'Ivoire match. Everybody that kind of looked at the scoreline just assumed that Germany dominated that entire time and every counterattack looked threatening. Um, they, they, they showed more going forward than Sweden did in the round yeah, 16. They really did. Um, so that'll definitely be interesting. Obviously, we want more goals from um, Abby Wambach and, and Alex Morgan. Uh, whether or not the turf thing is is playing up with the Abby Wambach knees, and that's why we're not seeing her perform to her her usual level, is uh, debatable. Uh, I know Jennifer came on and said that if if you watch a lot of her in league action, that it's not really that surprising. Um, but obviously you, you need to get more goals from them. I really liked seeing Carly Lloyd finally being able to play as like, uh, right behind the striker, which I, I hear is her best position. Obviously I'm not as familiar as some of the people on this show right now, but I, I think she looks a lot more natural in that position instead of being pushed a little bit further back. And I think it was Kieran that mentioned that when she kind of looks to defend, it kind of takes away some of her effectiveness. Uh, and I would definitely agree with that on the whole. Um, so yeah, largely I think it's going to come down to to whose defense is going to stand longer, and uh, you know it's it's kind of the you know immovable object and the whatever force. You all know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but uh, hopefully the defense will stand and the U.S. will progress. Um, we mentioned the other one, kind of matchups and players to watch. Which players are you going to keep your eyes on on this one? Do you mind if I jump in there very quickly, Kev, before we do that? One thing that might 
play a key part in this is the crowd, mm. because there will be a lot of US fans who will have expected their team to have won their group. And if that is, if they did do that, then they will have been buying tickets that were yeah. kind of building up mm. to this semi-final. So unlike a lot of teams where you wait to see where your team comes, there is almost like an arrogance and a confidence amongst the American fans that they will have been playing <laughs> this semi-final in this venue. So again, wholly uncharacteristic of us as, as a whole. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think having you know. As, as I said, having seen it for myself in Winnipeg, it was like a home game for, for the US mm. when they were playing their games in Winnipeg. And it could well be that if the US fans were confident enough that their team were going to top the group, they will have been buying tickets in their thousands for this game. And that could play a big part in giving them that extra push. And then this was FIFA's plan, wasn't it, to have Germany, France quarterfinal, USA against one of them in the, the semi in this venue. Obviously, USA never not made the semi-final, so the hope is that they'd be there. And yeah, you, you can see a big number and being quite maybe not as partisan as the, the set of Canada games but really really up there and taking over which could be it could be huge yeah so we already mentioned a lot of the the forward players but are there any other players we should be looking for in this match I suppose Alex Morgan's the one you're sort of waiting for her to, to find sort of match fitness and she got the goal against Columbia it was a bit of a a, a scuffed bad goalkeeping mistake but is she going to step up against Germany the big semi-final and, and uh, hit the headlines and for Germany I suppose it's, I think Mar- Marajan is, is potentially injured I think I saw Jundi that's a bit of a blow and then you're looking at me, it's me tagging Sassage isn't it if they can get the, the best of that, that US defence which has looked Julie Johnson has been absolutely superb that's uh, I mean, it's going to be an amazing battle to watch and uh, that whoever gets the better of that I think could could get through to the final. I think one player that um, USA need to keep an eye on is uh, is a goalkeeper, Angara, because I think she's played really mm. well, um, particularly in the game um, you know, against France. Obviously, the penalty save, um, but she also made a, a couple of great saves in that game actually to keep France at bay. Um, so if you know USA have um, you know want to progress to the final, they've got to get past her, and I think she's arguably the best keeper in the tournament. Um, I think I, I think I believe it's going to be her last tournament. Um, yeah. So so yeah, she would want to go out on a you know on a obviously winning the World Cup. So um, so so yeah, I mean she's a. I think she's different to a lot of the other keepers you see um, in, in women's football from from what I've seen. I mean, she she's quite she's quite a dominant character in, in goal, and uh, you know, you can see why she's uh, you know she she's been said as uh, you know the best goalkeeper in the world. So, uh, I think USA have got to get past her first, obviously. Um, but th- that'll be you know if, if they get past the uh, German defence and they got <laughs> they've got to get past her. I've been quite impressed with her to be honest. Yeah, I think Jay almost beat me to the punch there. I, th- I thought the the big battle that we probably wouldn't think about is between the two goalkeepers. You've got probably the two best in the world in Nadine Angra and Hope Solo. And if you go right back to the first game that the US had against Australia, Hope Solo made two absolutely wonderful saves um, from Emily Van Egmond and Samantha Kerr. And if those two efforts go in, it could be a very, very different game because the Australians started that game absolutely flying. And, and the US could have been 2-0 down. As it happens, they found themselves ahead. So I think Hope Solo, you think about the fact that they're on this long run of having haven't conceding. Mm. They, she could play an important role because she might actually have a bit more work to do in this game. As I said, China didn't really trouble her. Sweden didn't really show any kind of attacking um, you know, energy when they played them. Nigeria did okay, to be fair. Um, and you know, I think this, this could be the game where she's really tested. And, and it'll be just interesting to see how she stands up to the challenge, as the same with Nadine Angra. 
we're sort of setting up to be a penalty show, aren't we, to see what keeper can come out as, as top dog. <laughs> it's, got, it's got penalties written all over it. All right. And with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay, I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com. Uh, we're doing regular updates after each round of the World Cup on the site, so by all means, um, have a read of, of what we've done. Um, also, we're active on Twitter, and we're, we're we're talking through some of the games up quite late, so uh, if you want some interaction, then by all means, please do. Um, we're over at The Eagles Beak, so thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Gibney. You can follow me on Twitter at Gibney underscore A. Like GM up till early hours in the morning talking about women's <laughs> football, so come and say hello. Uh, you can find my writing on this on the uh, Bleacher Report and on the uh, Women's Sport UK. So come and have a read and yeah, look forward to the semi-finals. Yeah, thanks again for having me, Kev. Uh, as I said, my name is Kieran Tavum. I tend to hide behind my at Zone account on Twitter when I'm talking about women's <laughs> football, although you may see the occasional retweet from my personal account uh you can listen to the show on audioboom.com forward slash woso zone and as said we are on twitter on at woso zone all right and i'm your host kevin devries you can find me on twitter at kevroth you can find the podcast on twitter at epl roundtable or you can email us at epl roundtable at gmail.com and big thanks to Playtaga again for sponsoring this women's world cup podcast we're all very glad to be a part of it and being able to watch such an exciting tournament. And, and watching it develop has obviously been a lot of fun. So thanks again, guys, for joining us. It's been great as always, and we hope you keep listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.